0: Welcome to the Enlighten Up Podcast, where I am going to take you into a deep exploration of what it means to exist in this current reality. We are going to raise your vibes, open your mind, expand your heart, and dive deep into the wondrous mysteries and possibilities of this lifetime. There's been a spiritual catalyst that has set in motion the awakening process of many across the globe to return to the knowingness of self and unite what has been separated. Together, we're gonna bring light into that darkness. We're gonna remember the joy of living, but most of all, we're gonna turn up the volume of our own eternal power and do the thing we're here to do. Welcome back to the Enlighten Up podcast. How's everyone doing tonight? As you can see, I am joined by one of uh, your favorites and mine, Tony Rodriguez. He's a SSP whistleblower. He's been on the show quite a few times, and tonight we are going to discuss his newly released book, The Series Colony Cavalier. I am a good two thirds of the way into the book. Tony, it's great to have you back here. How are you doing?
1: Hi, I'm good. <laughs> Nicole, hi. How's it going? It's been a while, man. It's good to see you.
0: I know. Uh, I know. So I follow, like,
1: Follow your work a little bit when you post your little clips that are like motivational or like good. Stuff. I love what you're doing.
0: Oh, and yeah, I'm so happy
1: to see you. Yeah, I'm so happy to see you pop up like that. So it's, you're doing a great job. Keep it up.
0: Oh, thank you. I'm having fun with that. You know, um, this book has been, um, you know, in, in, in some ways, a long time coming. In other ways, it's, you know, I, I think it's kind of come through pretty quickly for you. But we've all been anticipating this because you've been kind of holding out on some information that you were saving for the book. And I was able to dig into it and get about 300 pages in. And I really, there's so much I want to ask you about, but first, before we kind of get into it, how has, how has the whole experience been? How has your book been received and, and how are you feeling now that it's all out there?
1: It's been a big change. Um, it's been a huge thing. It's, it's been life-changing, literally. I mean, w- without, without being. Um, dramatic in any way shape or form it's been absolutely life-changing it was number one in its category for like four weeks and it keeps popping in and out and i just released it like two days ago on kindle the kindle version and people are just devouring the book i was the first week or so and then i had a pre-order sale that you know like amazon kind of delays getting the author his copies so so like when you're the author of the book and you go to buy your copies it makes you wait two or three weeks and then people could just buy the book. So people pre-ordered it and they were like, man, they gave me, you know, extra money. They paid extra for an autograph and for a Zoom meeting and stuff. And they were like, what's what gives, man? People already finished your book. People already read your book and they're talking about it online like that they what a great book it is and I pre-ordered months ago. And I felt so bad, but I got all the finally got all the pre-orders shipped except for like five people in Australia because they won't even ship to Australia and there's like a super um like a, like a tariff going on because of COVID. You can't send things to Australia freely. So there's a there's an end around I'm working on. I'm going to get an email out. There was like five people I got left to sh- ship the book to, but I sent the rest. But anyhow, it's been a huge late weight off my shoulders. I got to say that it's it's been a huge lift of telling the story. The book tells the story better than I ever could in an interview mm-hmm. form. Like I can, I, you know, I've done hundreds literally of interviews and I've got a lot of information out about what I went through and there's a lot of stuff that isn't in the book that I've said in interviews and it's kind of on purpose. We had to finish the book at some point. So I had to run and get it done, but a book just tells the story in chronological order and with more detail than I ever could in an interview with, with a questioning back and forth, because people always interrupt and go, wait a minute, where, you know, like, and then it goes off the, the story goes takes a takes a bend which is fine in an interview but the book doesn't do that so it's a huge relief you know and it's it's really inspired me to make another one
0: okay so there's book two in the works Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and where is that going to be taking us
1: so there's a little clip in the book about another 10 years it's going to be into that and then it's going to. oh yes
0: I read that part
1: it's going to have I'm going to describe that that's going to be actually the bulk of the second book But then there are going to be a few other things that I'm going to fill out from the story. And then even like my childhood after I got back and before, like think just, you know what I'm saying? I'm just going to kind of fill things out that people, I feel like people may find to be interesting. And the reason I'm going to do that, the reason I'm going to include a lot of the earth stuff is because it happens to other people. So I want people, so many people that that have had similar things happen to them, reach out to me. You know, I mean, and so I want to include everything that may be on a common denominator level with people that also get taken. So if that makes sense, So I'm going to put stuff like that in there and I'm going to cover that 10 years because at the end of that time was really, it was like, like, it was a very spiritual um, thing. And I think that's why I got where I'm at. I think that I, I think that something happened again in that time because it was very far away. And I met something and it's helped me ever since. And that's why I'm sitting here today. You know what I mean? Like that's how I made it this far because let's face it, a lot of people don't get this much memory back and they don't get to talk about it like this. And there's been a lot of bad things. There's been been a lot of bullets that have missed me since I've come public. So I got to say that there's people, there's something out there that's helping me out. There's some, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a reason for my story being told. So. Mm-hmm.
0: No, and I and I truly believe that I believe that we have some certain high levels of protection that are um, beyond this realm. Absolutely, uh, I mean, I myself I was just introduced to two Arcturians who literally have my back right now as I'm preparing to go deeper into some of the work that I'm being called to. So I believe that you know if if especially if you feel that during that 10 year period and there was some kind of being that you met with or something that you met with. Do you believe that that experience was responsible possibly or potentially for your ability to, you know how when you were getting ready to be brought back to earth and be put back in your body that, you know, your name was taken off um, a list and, and all of that. Do you think that that was part of that?
1: Right. So I don't know. But uh, the way, the way that I'll, the way that I'll fill out the, and the other thing is, this is like something that if I, if I spit it out right now on an interview, it won't make any sense to people. People go, wait a minute, what? And I know it was going to cause a bunch of like damaging questions. And that's why I've never really talked about that 10 years, because it's hard enough to get somebody. I kind of tailor make when I, I go into interviews with the mind that the people in the audience know nothing about me. And so I want to present the, in a, in a structured way, I want to present it in a way that makes me obviously not a crazy person, not somebody that's a screwball. You know what I'm saying? Like, because listen to the stuff I'm talking about. So it's easy for somebody to, you know, to get tripped up. And really, if I got really scrutinized, I could be tripped up with my own words easily, I'm sure. But I try to present it in a way that's, you know what I'm saying? Like, so people can grasp it and digest. And even if they don't believe it to go, you know what, that guy was so sure of the way that he did it, you know, like, I don't want to start talking about spirituality and where your soul and my karma and my chi and everything. Like, I don't want to start going into that, like really woo right off of it, because I want to, I want to bring people into this information. I mean, that's the idea is like, I want to present what happened to me, not in a way, like, I'm not pissed off about it. Do you get what I mean? Like, I've kind of healed over, over the anger. I was spent many years when I got back in my life to being a very angry teammate, teen. teen
0: well, you know, I in mean, my early
1: 20s and in my teens, I was like nothing but angry. Uh,
0: well, and, when, I mean, when you read your book, you understand why. And, and to anyone who, you know, ha, is watching this right now or later on, when I mean, this book is so detailed. I mean, Tony, I've had you on the show several times and I've heard your story um, even on other podcasts. And there's the deep you're right. The detail level that you go into here is astonishing and it's, it's, it's gripping, but it's also extremely disturbing in some parts of what's happened to you. You know, you, before we went live, you were asking me how I've kind of received the book so far. And I'm going to be, you know, I was honest with you. It was really difficult for me to read the beginning. Like the first few chapters were really difficult because this is when you were going through the MK MKUltra um, program. And I mean, you've talked about it. But the details of each thing, I mean, when you talk about it, you kind, I guess in a way, maybe, maybe people wouldn't even realize this, but you're truly glazing over it, even though the details you're giving doesn't seem like that. I mean, the, not to like, like, I don't want to give away everything in your book or anything like that, but the part, the one part that was really hard for me, was when you were in the chairs that were suspended by the chains um, in the classroom with all the kids. And there was a girl that was, I guess, next to you. I guess she's maybe a little bit beside besi- you or me. behind you. Mm-hmm. And you know, you were there and you heard the, the man come in and literally rape her and her screaming. And you're just sitting there, listen, it's all happening like around you and the details that you're giving, it's just, it's so difficult, to digest. Um, I personally had to put the book down um, and I I picked it back up and then I realized that I needed to read this at a different date where, like I told you, I was trying to have a very relaxing weekend. And I was like, oh, this is this is not the mindset that's going to take me into a relaxing weekend. And I really wanted to give your book justice. And so I highly suggest, guys, if you really want to know the details of the truth, and understand what kind of darkness there is. I think we all kind of think like, well, I, I I understand. I've heard all these stories. But when you read some of these details, it's just, it's very disturbing. It's sickening to the stomach. Uh, but at the same time, as we said before going live, in order to know the truth, you have to be willing to see all of the uglier aspects of it so that you know what you're facing, you know what you're dealing with.
1: The, the, the moments like that, I put in there because they're evidence, because that's a, my testimony, because it's a testimony against that asshole. Excuse me on the words, but you get what I'm saying? Like it's a testimony against that. So I wouldn't leave that. I, I talked about that in the, my very first interview with Exopolitics, and they cut it out because obviously, because it was disturbing, but I talked about that time. I went into way more detail. I talked about a lot of the stuff when I did my Gaia interviews, I did four episodes for Gaia. They cut one entire episode out because of it but the thing is the things that i witnessed when you talk about especially like seattle what went on there that, that's evidence and everybody is begging for every you know what i'm saying like anybody oh, watching gosh. this right now yeah anybody watching this right now when you if you go talk this you know at the water cooler tomorrow with your workers they're gonna be like, whatever does like guy got proof that's the proof and they keep cutting it out because it's shocking you know what i'm saying because it yeah. was
0: yeah it's it, it's well it's very graphic um but I mean, it's your truth. It's, it's your, it's what happened to you. It's your life. It's what you experienced. And again, yes, Seattle, you know, you talked about being there and all the parties and everything, but oh my gosh, when I, some of the things that you went through, I, it's, it's heartbreaking to read, Um, you know, because I, you know, consider you a friend and to know that one of your friends has lived through this as a child, you know, it's, it's, even as an adult, to have this stuff happen to you is horrifying. But as a child and uh, you were very good at really sharing and writing from the place of pure authenticity of I, I, I felt like I was connecting with your child, like the, your child self.
1: So I mean, I remember it from that time. You know what I mean? I remembering it from childhood, from that time as I went through. And I kind the other thing is is kind I kind of remember what I didn't know at that time. Do you get what I mean? Like I I keep saying that a lot. I noticed my I watched the last interview. I could you get what I mean? But I at the time I didn't know what was yeah a person that's born into a dysfunctional home doesn't know that it's dysfunctional until they leave the home. So that time I, you know, I was going through the, here's what I knew is that when, when I was in Peru, so the whole time when I was in, uh, in Yolkern, and we went through that, we were kind of uh, in a state of mind where the kids really couldn't, couldn't interact. We were all kind of zoned out, you know, like drugged or, you know, exhausted. So, but when I went to Peru, I watched other kids interact with each other, like close to me. And I knew that normal kids, that, obviously these kids had friendships, they had friends, and I wasn't allowed to have any. So the entire time, and somebody's pointed this out to me that, you know, it's a reoccurring theme that I always just wanted to have friends through the book, because that childhood because my childhood in Peru and in Inukerun, because those years, and even in Seattle, I didn't really, I had a couple of friends, but they would leave. They The door, it was a rotating door. So I never really had any friends. And uh, that was, I look at it right now and I'm, wow, I'm going to get choked up. But I, that's kind of still how I am. Do you know what I mean? Like, friendship to me is far more valuable than anything else.
0: I feel and, that.
1: Um, I, I picked up because... on that as well
0: in your in your in your book, you know, that how important the friendship was to you and and how much you needed it and how much you craved it. You know, like it was it was like food to you. It was like water and not having it and, and realizing how alone you felt and how isolated it was you know, it really opened my eyes to how important the socialization factor is for children.
1: That's right. And I remember that feeling. I remember that feeling all through that whole 20 years that I was like, I just thought, when am I going to get my friends? And that was really the, at the end, which you are not there. I don't think you're there yet. I was reading page 300, see where you're at. You're not there yet, but I did get a group of friends. They were girls, you know, but they were my friends and I fell in love with one. And that was kind of a big deal. Like I did get, and then the guys that I worked with, I had friends on the ship. So I did actually get friendship. And that was such a big improvement in my life that I really didn't want to leave. That's one of the reasons I didn't want to, when they were good, when it was my time to go back, I really had no desire because I finally had friends after 18 years of no friends of, of being friendless and growing from a child and not socializing to actually having a form of social life. I actually got punished for it, which is why it's, why it's named series colony Cavalier. Um, you'll get to that point. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to
0: look. Well, Let's kind of get into some of the things here that I, I found very interesting. And I I don't remember um, us talking about it on the show. And if you did talk about this in other interviews, I haven't seen them. Um, but I guess the first thing I kind of wanted to get into was when you got to series and it was your first day of work and but you got you were told to go on a different train and you were pretty sure you weren't supposed to be on that train but they pushed you on that train anyways and you went into the mines and um in that mine there was like I guess you had to stay on some kind of metal platforms to make sure that you didn't get into the anti-gravity like the anti-gravity or get the microgravity the so microgravity
1: they had, the flooring had had artificial gravity and if you stepped off it you'd go into microgravity and there was the People had got stuck in it. Like you could get stuck in it if that makes sense. That was the that, at least that's why they told us not to go into it.
0: Yeah. So in that, I'm I'm curious. I, I really, you know, we may not spend a lot of time here, but you talked about how they were there were there was some kind of technology in the water or something that was what was going on there.
1: So that was like an urban. It was classified information for us as slaves on Sirius Colony, but it was the urban like a a lot of things. How do I put this in perspective? Like right now, there is no proof of UFOs other than the UAP report, right? So let's talk about UFOlogy. Like right now, there's zero proof of UFOs or uh, the space programs, But everybody knows about it. Do you know? You get what I mean? Like everybody, not only that, but we, we know a great deal about it. It was the same there for us. So there was no technology in the water there was nothing like that. There were no ruins on series, But everybody knew that there was. Everybody knew. So the truth kind of, you know, and it became rumor. The rumor mill kind of fed the truth. And so that was what we were told when I, when I was talking to the guys in the mines. They said that, you know, they don't even care. I said, why do they even care about water? They can just pump it. I mean, they can find one of these vast things, one of these pockets of water. It's enough water for them. And they don't, we can replicate water anyway. I was like, they don't even need it. What are they going to use it for? He said they don't want the water. They're gonna they're gonna build into the cavity of the water, and they're gonna they can find advanced technology that was left in it. You know that was the rumor, and then somebody so, else would be like, "No, they're not. They're, you don't know that."
0: Okay, so the technology wasn't in the water; it was in the space where the water was.
1: Like an aquatic species lived inside, like an aquatic city.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Like, well, just because like ruins water... of a city under the yeah. water in big pockets of water
0: oh so they were kind of looking for that
1: they were looking for big pockets because it's oh, literally there's oceans inside I mean not fully oceans but like there's huge lakes you know massive uh miles and miles big pockets of water inside Ceres and they would let the water out and find buildings in there that another species had built a million years ago or however long ago like that was And that was the rumor. So that's what I'm saying. I didn't exactly see You know what I mean? Like nobody confirmed that to me. It's funny because that's kind of the picture behind me is ruins. So there was at the very end of the book for a short time, just because I was going home, I had a girlfriend, you know what I'm saying? It was a kind of, a, it wasn't really a girl, you know what I'm saying? It was like more of a fling, but she had an apartment. And what it was, was is what's behind me is what the apartments look like. And it was a long cavern that went down for miles. It was like, 25 minutes of vertical riding that lift you can see the elevator behind me like it was like 20 minutes you'd have to go down and get off get on another one and keep going down but the triangle doors were made out of stone and they would open they could they could tell her mentally when somebody was there and she could open and close the door tell you to go away and the door would tell you to go away she could actually make you feel pain if you wouldn't leave the door could make you feel uh, cause a headache like it and this was it was something that they had found, and the series the colony had found these rooms like that in the wall of this long vertical cavern and converted them to apartments and built all those catwalks and that system so you could get to it. Basically, that was underwater, and you would, whatever species actually built those rooms with those doors, would swim up and down to them that makes sense according according to the rumor according According to the rumor yeah sure
0: okay that's
1: what i'm saying i gotta disavow i can't i could be i could be wrong Mm -hmm. because i didn't really have any super proof about it but that Mm -hmm. was what that was kind of what the rumor mill said there
0: hmm it's so interesting because to me, when I think about, you know, the un- like water and, and even here on planet Earth, I've had Andrew Bartzis on um, a year and a half ago. And we talked about underwater civilizations here and how there are places um, deep below the surface uh, that are the water is still um, in, in, I guess, in, in other dimensions. Um is still inhabited with species but it's because they're like they're able to program the water in a way that is like and using it in a way of technology like what you're speaking so i'm just wondering if the water itself had something to do like they were able to program the water which then would program the caverns or like what they were doing i don't know it's it's also interesting to me but um
1: Uh, well they were they were very advanced whoever they were that was the one thing we knew. Whoever left the rooms that were turned into apartments, they were super advanced. It was technology that was really advanced. And that's why they had a kind of a claim to fame that the series colony was the most advanced. That was why, because they had ruins that they had, were finding.
0: Okay. And do, do, do you know if there was, was there any rumors of these aquatic beings being, I, I mean, if they know about them, that had, I guess, were there any interactions with them, with anyone that you are aware Mm -hmm.
1: of? No. No. Just ruins.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, You know, what was interesting to me as well was this instance where I didn't realize in your uh, 20 and back that you actually came back to Earth for missions.
1: Yes, we went to Diego Garcia, we went to South America. We would fly I remember looking out the window and flying over South America over the jungles, the forests and we would always talk about we're almost there, we're right because I always wanted to go back to Peru. That's where I felt I had family, you know, that was my family to me from from the time I was there. And they would always say and then I remember the one girl was in um, she was in like uh, not on the bridge, she was in like accounting. And so she would come down and we were talking. She said, no, no, Peru's like 2,000 kilometers that way. We're super far away from Peru. Don't even think about it. But yeah, I guess, you know, like she was like really matter of fact about it. Like I was like, are we close to Peru? Can I, can I look at Peru? Do you know where we're at? She's like, no, we're like 2,000 kilometers away. And it was the Catarina mountains. So there's a place in Brazil, the Catarina. It's a big area, but it was somewhere in there is a, um, an entrance to underground cavern, caverns that we would go to and drop off cargo we would go there and then we went to diego garcia and a lot of people and that was another thing that's kind of like i don't want to get you in trouble <clears throat> but you know like today we know there's some things that we know about what's going on in the world that we know are bull bullcrap everybody knows it but you can't even yeah. talk about it you'll get censored mm-hmm. you'll get you'll get your show removed if you talk about it there are things there are things in the political arena and in the medical arena that we can't speak about and everybody knows that anybody that's got their eyes open is you know what I'm saying like I don't need to be a doctor to see that the delivery is the same exact delivery that a crim- that a thug and a criminal delivers their message with so you know something's wrong you can just you know and it was the same <clears throat> with that everybody everybody was told that the earth was no longer habitable that the earth had been destroyed the girls and every you know the citizens of Series colony were told that the earth was not habitable. And once you got in the military, they would brief you on it and say, Well, the earth is, and we trade with them. And they would give them like a watered down story of it or why it needed to be classified. But so, so everybody like,
0: knew. So kind of like the way they tell us Mars is uninhabitable. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Yes, right. Okay.
1: Okay. And there's water all over it. And it keeps, Mars it keeps, it's, it's like every time they talk about Mars in the news, it keeps getting better. Do you know what I'm saying? They're like, Oh, oh, by the way, we did find some liquid water you know what i mean like it looks like there's a lake who would have thunk it now there's a giant lake there that's liquid i don't know you know and so mars just keeps getting um, more habit more um, vacationable every time they talk about it
0: yeah it's okay so going going to one of your earth missions which was actually a very brief earth mission this one i found really interesting and this is pretty close to where i think i just finished off in the book um, where you met the EBE five, which I thought was interesting—that that's what they used to call reptilians.
1: Well, so is that where I'm at here? I'm looking at page thirteen. Where you are at? So oh. yes, that that was Chicago, and that was that was before that place. But that was Chicago. Yeah. So I had volunteered. I hated my. I hated my post that I was on, on the ship I was on. I, I hated, I was literally suicidal and I had been programmed to not suicide. So, you, which,
0: which by the way, that I think saved your life <laughs> being yeah. suicidal. I think actually saved your yes. life on that mission.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I reg- I was like bummed I, 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 I because here's what happened was after that mission, I thought, well, I did this mission. Maybe I'll get promoted. Maybe they'll move me to anything. I was like, even if they move me to somewhere different, it'd be different than what I'm doing. And I can't stand the two guys, the two guys I worked with. hate. hate, I hated me. And I was, you know what I mean? It was just a toxic work environment. I thought now that I've done this mission, I'll get my hat in the ring for some kind of promotion or even not even a promotion, but like a sideways promotion, a sideways movement in, in a career, in my career and nothing happened. And so I just only regretted it afterwards. I was like, That was terrible. You know, like nothing happened. Like for months and months after it was like, I just went back to work. It was the same thing. Nothing changed. But
0: Well, okay. Let's talk about that because right before you, you know, you you were taken from Ceres over to the moon and um, you, you were, I guess they were using the moon because they had certain technology on there to get you to earth immediately. But just before you were brought into the room where the technology was, There was a little boy um, that you ran into in the hallway, or I guess um, he ran into your foot. I don't
1: know. (laughs) He did. Well, I lifted my foot up and he was running at me with his arms open. And I thought he was, I thought he was crazy, but he was trying to hug me. I, so, okay. So this is a fantastic thing to say. I'll say this. He contacted me. Like in 2016, after he saw some of my interviews, he's like, he, he wrote me and he said, I'm that, I'm that boy. He's like, I remember you. And it was a dick move what you did. And at the time I never talked about this story. Do you get I had never mentioned what happened on that mission. I didn't speak about it publicly. And he said, that was a dick move, man. And I said, what? he's like, I, I hated you for years after that. He said, if I could, I, if you would have met me up there and I could have, I would have killed you. There were times when I tried There were times when I tried to psychically find you and kill you. I hated you. He's like, and I'm still mad about it he's like
0: wow and
1: I said what happened I was like what happened and he described it to me slightly different like the characters he remembers the two guys that I was with as different people than different I'm gonna leave it I'm gonna leave some details out but the pe- the two guys that I was with were younger office German uh guys young kid they were kids really they were like punks he remembers them as something different and then he was with these grays that were escorting him across the room and he told me where he went where they were taking him and he was being trained to psychically seek and like he was being trained to go to planets in a warfare situation and find people that were hiding psychically so that they could go send a team and go kill them so people that people that escaped a battle and went and hid he was being trained to psychically find like to sniff people out after a battle they would send him in after the battle was over, and he would learn where they were psychically, and then they would go and finish. It was like a mop-up thing. He contacted me with that. I talked to him for months after that. He actually did some interviews online. He said, should I do interviews like you're doing? And he did. And um, I corroborated a lot of things. There's things that nobody could have known that he knew about that time. And the the age, I did the timeline, the age, everything was right. He's younger than me. You know, he was, uh, I would have been um like 21 at the time which puts him around nine at the time something like it's been years obviously since I did since i did that math but something like that it worked it, at the time when i ended up talking to him it worked out but he did interviews and his family got wind of it and his friends and he really he really paid hell for speaking about this subject publicly back then in 2016 and 17 and so he had his re- interviews removed he said i don't want to talk about this anymore and, there's been a few times I've messaged him and I asked him a few things, you know, can I use your story or thing? And, but he's like, please just leave me out of it. I don't want it. It's too embarrassing, you know, to speak about this.
0: Wow. Well, you know, this, this is pretty interesting because it really starts to help your story hold more wa- weight, you know? And, um, I thought that was really interesting. What was So, like, what, you know, what really got me when I read that part was how he saw you as someone he could maybe get a hug from, you know, like with everyone that was because you were walking with two other
1: people, like. He said that at the time he had gotten off, he was on some drugs. He was, they said they had him hooked up to a machine, like a psychic, like an amplifier. And he had all these tubes in him and he was on the, they gave him drugs that amplified it. And he said at the time they were walking him across to a room of all these beasts. Like this is a lower, a lower level of a more um, classified area of the, one of the lunar facilities. And he said, when he looked at me, he could see my aura and it had colors and everybody else's aura was only, was dark. Like even the two guys I was, he said they were like robots. He said, when he saw my aura, he saw colors in it. And that's why he ran. He wanted to give me a hug. He's like, he saw love. You know what I'm saying? Like, it reminded him of the last time he was around, somebody that loved him had the same colors. And he said, that's what he saw in my, he saw my orange. He was running to give me a hug. He wanted me to take him out of there. And instead, those guys had talked me up into thinking I was a badass. And they were, you know what I mean? Like, we don't take crap from anybody around. If anybody, don't let anybody come near you. It's like, they were pumping me up because these guys were like 18 years old and like jacked about their about their military service right they were pumped and they were kind of getting in my head like we were a gang and so he comes here I go around the corner of this hallway and this little black kid comes running at me and so I just held up my leg and he ran into my foot like I kicked him and he fell down crying and at the moment I felt great but after I thought about like I felt like obviously empowered you know what I mean you beat somebody up but after they took him away and I saw I saw the disappointment and Like when they lifted him up, I saw when he knew, like he fell down crying, he was in pain, it, it winded him. And then when the grays got him again, he, he knew he was taken again. And you know what I'm saying? Like he saw the disappointment in his in his face really screwed me up at the time. Like it screwed me up. And again, that was another thing to kind of reinforce that whole suicidal feeling. Like I was like, good, hopefully this will be over soon. You know, like after when we walked, when we kept walking, I was like, hopefully I was saying, I remember thinking to myself, like, you know, all, all the more, all the more reason to not do that. I can't wait. They're going to, this could be the one, you know, like I kept psyching myself up that they, cause it was supposedly, a, it was a very dangerous mission. It was a, you know, I was a uh, expendable member of the mission. I was, I was expendable and it was a mission that we were, ex- we volunteered for to be expendable. And I was, I was kind of happy at that prospect at the time because of stuff like that. You know what I mean? I wasn't that, I did I just did not fit, into the society where I was, I, I wasn't. The, I don't. I don't. I don't.
0: Yeah. Know no. I, I. Yeah. And well, like we said earlier, you being suicidal actually, I think, saved your life, or was responsible for saving your life in some way um, on that mission. Um, you know, what I'm interested to ask you is about like how you were able to break that kind of time-space barrier with the technology that you used on the moon there to get you to Earth in an instant. So basically, it was like teleporting you.
1: It was were, a portal it was a yeah. portal room. like it was a it was a fancy one. So if you think about the transporter room in Star Trek, it was five times bigger than that and it was much fancier. and there were a lot of things that were made out of stone. so and then I found out as I was writing the book that there are certain kinds of stone there was a stone we looked up that's like I described them as slate, like a black slate that was there were a plate, you know like a foot thick and big black slate and then one above it. And then the ball would appear, a ball of light would appear in it. And when you got close to it, it would not be light. And you could see where you were going. And, um, I found out right in the book, we did research that there's actually a a slate that looks just like that, or a stone that looks like that blocks radiation. That is a radiation barrier. And I went, Oh, "Oh, no kidding. And I looked up pictures. like, yep, that's exactly it. Like a, like a smooth black slate with layers that, you know, like if you chipped it off. Yeah. Um, but it was because so i was told that 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 those were americans that were running it and that room it was um like a special like a rare portal system because of the power system on the moon because the moon has a super huge power output that the that whatever the free whatever their energy whatever powers the moon has a great deal of output so it can make portals because it takes a great deal of energy like they can't just Put a portal room like that on all the ships and, and you know they're not it takes a great deal of power to make small controlled portals for people to walk into safely i guess so that was what was you know I, I hopefully that's a disclosure you know what i'm saying like that's up it's up there somewhere right now so hopefully that, yeah
0: like so okay so take us through this like f- I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because you were walking, Was it, were you walking across a platform or just along the, the floor? Like, was it just a flat floor or was there a specific kind of runway thing that you were walking on?
1: Yeah, they had like a little thing uh, marked for you to stand. You had to stand behind a line. Yeah. And they were like, when we when we tell you to go, you walk in a straight line. Don't, and they said, don't modify it. walk the same speed and don't hesitate at the front. You know what I mean? Like you have to walk right into it. And they said, just keep walking until you, until you get there. You'll know. And they said, don't ha- whatever you do, don't hesitate. They were, they were very, they were like very nervous. They said people, have, you know, there've been people that hesitate at the last minute when they get to the, when they get to the, to the light actually. Cause what it is, is it was a ball of like a light green light. A green light and a, like a like how a big beach is ball. how big
0: is this light like like a beach ball a beach ball okay like and a is beach it like ball size is it is are you walking towards just a wall or like what are you well walking? it was in the center of
1: the room like in the oh. center like there were two big slabs and then you stood back and then there was a staircase and there was a wall that the that turned clear that the technicians they had their they had their big computer their big control area they flipped the switch and the wall turned clear so that they could see and you were walking along the side. they were you were walking you know what i mean like sideways to where they were at and um but you would see a green light like a bright light but but like a dim bright light if that makes sense of light green and that would appear it was a beach ball size that appeared in the middle of the room and they said okay go and the first guy walked into it and he would go and just gone and when it was my turn when i walked up to it when you got inside the light the ball turned into like the room. I could see the room where I was going to, where I ended up. I could see it. Like I could see the doorknob. I, what it was, I saw a doorknob and then it was rounded around the ball, like a room. And when I got there, when I went, I was in a stairwell and I looked and there was the doorknob, like, you know, like the stairs in a building, the stairwell, I was in the stairwell and I looked and it was the exact same doorknob that I was like, wow, I could see it where I was. And I was like, a little, I was dizzy. I was disoriented from it. We had waters there. We had to drink water. They had, they had a pack of water for us laying there. And we walked out the door and we were on the top floor of a section of a building on a yeah. parapet area.
0: Okay. So was the beach ball light, was it kind of hazy. Is that why it felt like it was dim and bright at the same time?
1: Yes. It okay. wasn't a bright, like a flashlight light. It was like and hazy.
0: Was it kind of like at waist level or was your head walking into it? Like where was the,
1: it was kind of lower. It was like you know, like chest, chest, chest level. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All it was right. weird. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense that you would walk into it. I was thinking, I even, I think I even said something Or one of us said, like, it's going to cut my head off. You know, like, how is that going to work? You thought that you would walk in it, but really as you walk to it, you curved into it. Like your space that you were like, when you walked, you would, you would curve around it and go into it. Like it was space.
0: Oh, so almost like you were being suctioned in, but from a con, like the space in a
1: con- you were in got sucked got turned into it. Yes. Got curved. The space you were in got curved. So you looked like you were being curved and you couldn't feel it. You couldn't tell. It was like, like I said, when you got close to it, you could see the other side of it. And then you just walked right through it. It was,
0: Oh, my whole crown chakra is like itching right now. That's so wild to me. So when you were walking up to it, why do you think people would hesitate? Is it just because it's weird? Like
1: okay. Because there was a moment when you got between inside the light of it and you could see something and like that moment I kind of had the urge you know what I mean like I, I did I only did it once really twice like on the way back I only did it that that's all I ever did it so it's like I got good at it or anything but I just remember I was kind of scared of stopping they scared me and so I kept going but when I did see it when it when it turned into something that I could see I was a shock like I kind of was curious about it but I just kept going and all of a sudden I was there but I kind of wanted to I did have the urge to stop and kind of look into it, like peer into it and see it. Do you, do you get what I mean?
0: Yeah, like you wanted to first scope it out before you went in.
1: Yeah, like yeah, like play with yeah. it. Kind okay. Of thing.
0: Okay. So all right. Um, wow. Okay. So that's really interesting that that technology exists. Um, that like I found that highly highly interesting. So when you get to Chicago, so you're in Chicago, and I thought this was really hilarious because I. You were going there because there was a reptilian that needed mercury. Like, what was it?
1: So right. So the at the top of the building, we had to climb up. That we had to climb up the side of the building from where we portaled in, which I thought was stupid. They told us we were testing out like a low grav belt. So we had har, we had a harness that we put on, and it was battery powered. And You turned it on and you weighed less than what you normally would weigh. And then we had the electron. They weren't suction cups, but it was like electronic things that would grip the wall. And we climbed up and they said that it was an experiment like it was a new technology and we were the field test they said in the same time and we carried up backpacks that had like a chrome bottle full of mercury when we got to the top there was big big square you know um, air conditioning units they're gigantic that are on top of of buildings and one of them was not was looked like an air conditioner but it was actually a, a low grav unit an anti-grav unit that gave the room under it or wherever this thing was living inside the top floor, lower gravity. It was a low gravity unit and it needed mercury. I guess they had a leak and it had been repaired. They sent another team there before us and fixed it. And then we were just putting mercury in it. And I think we were like the cherry on top for this thing. You know what I mean? Like ordered people to eat kind of like takeout. And so it was like three birds with one stone. We were testing out the, maybe testing out the, the harness, Fixing, filling it with mercury, and then we were expendable. So we were dinner for that thing.
0: Okay, so your encounter with this reptilian was very interesting. The way, and and I don't know if I was interpreting it correctly. Um, So how how big was this reptilian? Were you able to see the full thing, or was it more of an energy?
1: No, it had a suit on that was giving off gas, and then I think it was like projecting like a, like a, like a movie or something onto the gas. And it was invisible. It was, you know what I'm saying? It was projecting what was behind it. So it had, it had invisibility. Like it had a suit and it came close to me His eyeball was big and it came close to me and checked me out. And he said, he, you know, it was a big yellow reptilian looking eyeball.
0: Okay. Cause I was like the way I interpreted it. And of course, like maybe I was just totally enthralled, but the, it's like the eyeball of the reptilian came down floating. Like it was, you know, he was
1: invisible. Yeah, yeah okay. he, he had oh, okay. a, imagine he had a suit on. And like I said, when he got close, I could see that it was spitting gas. It had like a network of gas that it was spitting out. And the gas had the effect of it was bending the light around it. Or I think, you know, the more I think about it, it was probably projecting something. But I was freaked out because the other thing is at that moment when it walked up on us, like I almost vomited and pooped my pants and peed myself and had a headache all at once. Like it, it was very intrusive. It took us over. We all stood at attention and we're immediately... It was like violating, you know, like mentally dominated. Like we were, we were frozen. And then it came down and it was talking to us. And so I was freaking out at the time. And I looked and I, when I saw it, because I saw the eyes up on top of the air conditioner unit on the anagram. It was like standing on top of. So it was twenty feet in the air. It was way up high. And it came down and looked at me in the eye. Like it bent down. You know, I just watched the eye float around. And you could. And the other thing is, you could kind of feel it where it was do you get what I mean like I could feel it if you've ever maybe not everybody's like me you know what I mean like maybe not, but what well, do like, you I'll,
0: mean Tony <laughs>
1: <laughs> thanks yeah but um like I've been at the you know like at the circus when you stand in the room with an elephant you can kind of get a, you can kind of get a vibe from it's a big life form that's amazing and you could feel it you know what I'm saying? Like you can like
0: yeah, you feel the presence. I,
1: I think in the dark, if you really tune, mm. if you really if you really tune in, if there's somebody in the room in the dark, you can feel them there. You know what oh, I mean? You don't yeah, need to see 100%. there's another sense, yeah. And not everybody has that ability because it's also a gift to not have it, you know what I mean? But um, I could feel the thing, and it was huge, it was a big thing, you know what I mean? Like it was 10, 15, 10, 12 feet tall worth of a being that I could feel. But I could never really lay out The only thing I saw, the only part of it that I saw was its outer shape of the suit of the gas and the eyeball that came up on me. I didn't never, people always go, well, what was it? And what, can you draw it for us? Tell me what it was. It's like, I didn't really see it. It literally had an invisibility suit. And that's how it worked. It had a gas, some sort of gas that it probably projected the scene from behind it onto. So there, that's how you can make one. If anybody, if there's an inventor at home I just told you the secret, so go get after it. Be valuable.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, So when the reptilian um, engaged the the three of you, and was it four of you?
1: Four of us. Yeah, four four, of you. Five.
0: Um, And was looking for the this one who was the most afraid. I instantly was like, "Oh, thank God, Tony was suicidal."
1: (laughs) I was thinking when it came in front of me i was thinking yes here we go you know what i mean like i was like i was i was kind of i was literally wanted to die at that time and i was thinking finally this is my ticket out of here you know like that's literally what i thought but at the time i didn't know that it was sniffing to be it was sniffing for for fear you know i didn't know that until after it was all over with and um know like i said i just wasn't suicidal like the whole climb up i had i was afraid of dying on the climb up i kept thinking we were the couple guys were like you know the batteries on this could die out so you know if your batteries go dead you're gonna fall because it was electric it was on batteries the climbing yeah like you
0: couldn't use the full power of it you had to have it at a certain level
1: yeah and he said if you run the batteries dead it's you're just gonna fall and die and i was like so there was a challenge even though i wanted to die at that time there was a challenge it was a challenge to stay alive like i didn't want to die of my own accord and actually i was i think i was really heavily programmed against that you know like mind conditioned yeah, yeah. i kind of still am so let that be, let that be excuse me let that be my statement that i'm not suicidal tony red race did not suicide under any circumstance because i'm just not mm-hmm. like that so um i don't have it in me to do it i just don't know you've
0: gone through so much healing through all of this um, well, it's it's funny because before I got to the part where you had, um, you assume just from what you've seen when you went back to Chicago, when you were back on Earth and, uh, the, you think you believe it could very well have been the Sears Tower where you were at, that was actually my first gut Thought was when you were going to the building. I'm like, I wonder if it's the Sears Tower. So then, when you said that in the book later, I like when I got to that part, I was like, oh, that's so cool. And then it also made me think of you remember that TV show? They only had a couple seasons, and then they took it out. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. Well, I can't remember what it was called. Though. Was it called Earth People or um, People of Earth? Or I, I don't. What was that TV series where they had people who've had um, experiences, ex- like experiencers, and they would sit in like a almost like an AA kind of like type no, setting? No,
1: I, I don't know. I've never seen it. I got to check that. Out. Oh curious. my god!
0: Who in the chat? Tell me, you guys in the chat? You, I know someone in the chat knows what show I'm talking about. It's called. I, it was. It was so awesome. You've got to watch it. You got to find it because it Sounds had. Cool. A, it had a couple seasons, I think. Um, it, it for sure had one season, but it, it was hilarious. And it was it was total disclosure, um, but done in, in like a, a very comical way. And there was a reptilian in the show and it was like this CEO kind of corporate guy. And I he I always envisioned him living in Chicago, even though I don't know that's where he lived. In my mind, he lived in Chicago. And he was working in some kind of um, building. So then, when I'm reading your your story, I'm like, "Holy crap!" Or where did I hear? It? Like, I don't I don't know if I'm messing it up or or what. But I know I've heard someone talk about, you know, a reptilian CEO type.
1: People of Earth. People of Earth. Anna. Yes,
0: yes, Anna. Thank you. Okay, I was right. People of Earth. So um you gotta you gotta look that up. Anyone who who hasn't seen it, you gotta see it. It's, it's it's an awesome show. It's great, it's great for laughs too. Um but I that was just so funny because I was like, ah I I really wonder, like, what was that reptilian doing there?
1: Right. And how many are here? You That's know what i wonder. Living how, how many of them are up there like that? Like they could be coming and go like think yeah. about it. You're not. We're not allowed to go into a lot of places, like just in public, there was, like walking down the street. And I live in a very small town. It's like 10,000 people in town here. And it's, you know, there's a little strip, like a little old Michigan town. Walking right down the street, there's a lot of places I'm not allowed to ever see right here, right next to me. There could be ETs living right there. I wouldn't know. And you got to think if they don't need a car to park outside because they can come and go in a different manner, they could be quite cozy you know what I'm saying, especially you take a high rise, and the entire top floor of it, they modify it to have lower gravity like them, their same environment, and they can portal in and out, they can live their regular life the same way that you, you get what I mean, like they can be very comfortable and live just like they're at home and be right up once one floor up from us anywhere. So that's a scary thought. And that was something that I think about quite a bit. And that's that was I, that's one of those things. Like I, I went for like two years doing interviews before I ever mentioned that memory, because it was in Chicago. Because I didn't want some kind of pushback, or you know what I mean. Like I'm, I always, I'm not afraid of people being skeptical. Especially at this point, like I'm kind of good at it. You know what I mean? Of blowing people off that hate me. But in the beginning, it was I was really I was really afraid of you know what I'm saying. Just having my whole life ripped apart. And so there was a lot of things that were that. It, to me, it felt like it was fantastical, so I just didn't talk about it. But now, you know, but I still have always thought about that. Like, I literally drive through cities and look at big skyscrapers and go, there could be a lot going on up there. You don't know. Like, we're not allowed, and we're not allowed to see a great deal of skyscraper. There's there's very lavish, very beautiful things that none of us ever see. That are right on our same street.
0: Well, I'll never be able to look at an air conditioning unit the same way now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's true. Me too. I'll, Me too. I'll
0: be like, hmm.
1: <laughs> it was disguised, too. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. So what? Okay. Let's like, before I get into the last thing, what was exactly this anti, um, anti-telephoning?
1: It's funny. It's funny because... I put all this stuff in the book and like I noticed that people keep asking the same kind of questions out of the book. You know what I mean? Like I tried to explain it um, as best I could. Anytime you talk about time travel, it's just I don't think that people that we uh, me, especially me. But I don't think that humans are built to think about time travel. Do you get what I mean? Like I think that we're literally not built to do the math in our head or or, or think because it really it really boggles a lot of people's minds when you talk about that. And I'm me too. And when, the more I think about it, I do too, you know, but anti-telephoning was a technique that they knew that they could get away with because they had tried traveling time aggressively so that they could change the timeline into their favor and they got in trouble for it. So they, it was policed. Um, Anti-telephoning was a way that they could do, they could schedule an aggressive mission. Like think about us, think about a ship going to another world and then stealing from that world you know they would go there once and case the place out kind of get a plan and go oh we could take this so so and make make their little heist plan up and then come back and then schedule it and if it failed they got caught the ship never came back before it left so they could just cancel the mission and it never happened they never lost the ship and i always say like this is how, how it worked like the ship would leave at 8 a.m and it would get back at at 7 55 a.m five minutes before it left because that's the whole thing with the portal technology that time and space is the same thing travel great distances of time you can also or pay the space to travel great distances of space they could also travel time so they would come back five minutes prior but in order to stay in in line with the laws of time travel they would stay five minutes away so if it could try if they could fly 10,000 miles or a hundred thousand miles in five minutes at maximum speed that they, they would come back a hundred thousand miles away. Do you understand? So they weren't home yet, but the light would get there sooner and they could see that the ship was in it at the right coordinates and go, Oh, the mission worked, send them out, let them go. And then the ship would fly and leave. Or if the ship can't, didn't come back when it was supposed to, they would cancel the mission and it never happened. They wouldn't, because they knew it failed. So they would go and rewrite another mission and try it again the next day and they would cancel the mission. And it happened a lot. I mean, by a lot, I mean, six, six, seven times, six, eight times that it happened where they canceled our flight and we just sat around and cleaned all day and they debriefed us the next couple of days, the next three, four days afterwards, they would ask us if we, if we had any strange dreams to let them know because they wanted to debrief and they'd interview us and tell, ask us what, if anybody dreamt about a, a mission during the next couple of weeks that um, they wanted to know about it. So maybe there was a residual thing that, you know, they wanted to get info.
0: Yeah. And I mean, even just hearing you say that, you know, the average person down here who doesn't understand, um, you know, how valuable dreams can be for information (laughs) would think what you mean the military was dependent, was, was willing to like base information and, and, you know, Intel off of dreams, you know,
1: the series colony was, and they were very, you know, they're pretty proficient. So the U S military is very um, interested in dream work as well. The project gateway and all that, that's based on astral travel. And there's a lot of stuff that I'm doing on my Patreon channel about that. We have a tier three that's, we're doing, we're trying to we're trying to delve into that tech and kind of, kind of trying to unwind it. We're still in the beginning part. We're still in the beginning phases of the group figuring it out, but we're working on it. And there's there's some promise there. I think there's big things. The military really got it down. And I found uh, declassified CIA documents about Project Gateway. When I was looking into Project Uh Real Flame and Project Center Lane, the ones that I were involved with that spawned into Project Gateway and start eventually Stargate. Those were all CIA funded projects. That those kids in in the beginning in Inyo that was the funding. I found the funding and the dates. You know they don't tell you specifically Inyo I did. I just looked in the CIA declassified um, library.gov online, and I put Inyo Kern in there, and then I put, I forget a few other words in there. But Grill Flame, it was the project that I remember. I remember they called it. And kids started crying. He said, "You guys are in a project Grill Flame." And kids were like, "They're gonna burn. They're gonna burn us." you know, like during in that class, after we had been a bunch of kids started crying because they were, we thought we were going to get grilled, like literally grilled. He said, no, no, no. It's just a code name for it. It's like, that's where the, he explained it all to you was a super matter of fact, the doctor, but anyhow, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm off on a little tangent.
0: Nicole. No, no, so <laughs> no. I love your tangents. Hmm. Um, so, okay. That's interesting that, uh, man, so I mean, I mean, if they're using that technology, that anti-telephoning technology on series um, for their ships, would you assume or do you know if they're using that um, even here right now or like I from would the imagine
1: moon? so right. so there are rules about the time travel, but you got to think just that same technique is super powerful. And I think it was very classified and that's another reason why I make a point to talk about it because, it's a super classified tech i don't think other colonies knew about it i think just the series colony knew about it or at least they believed that they were the only ones that did it at the time and um the thing so somebody asked in the thing what about temporal paradoxes and what about so what i was told was that when that there was a time when the ship appeared but in the wrong place as if it it had been kidnapped like like the ship would appear, but only the captain knew. Like nobody else in the crew knew where the ship was supposed to go until the last minute, just in case it, somebody boarded it and took it over and came back. You know what I'm saying? In case there was a hostile force. And that did happen. And what they said, we were like, well, what happens then? There's two ships. And they said the very moment, the exact moment that they canceled, when they come down with the can, when they scrub the mission, they canceled it, the other ship vanished. It was right then and there. So that would, so there was no Mandela effect about it. They could see the ship out in the wrong place and they would call the mission scrubbed and the ship would vanish immediately. Right. That very second.
0: Wow. So there's scrub it. Like it never happened.
1: Yep. It would just disappear and the ship would disappear like because it didn't happen because it was never sent.
0: So just like vaporized. So,
1: yeah. Yes. And well, it, because the mission didn't happen, but I just thinking about that I still can like bake it bakes my brain you know like it's it's hard to get your head around it like that's what I mean I think we're just not built to think about temporal physics you know what I mean like like some people can can really get like chess masters can really do chess in their head and most people aren't built to it you know what I'm saying like it's a very rare thing I think time travel is the same thing same kind of Like we don't have the brains for it.
0: Do you think like that ship would just go back in time to the point right before it was built? Like, like?
1: No, no. It was just done. It just vanished because the mission. It it was a paradox. It was a paradox. So the ship, as soon as you know what I mean, like I'll use my little pen. Like here's the ship. Can't do it. Here's the ship, and it flies away, and then it comes back five minutes before, but in the wrong spot. So they know it, it failed, so they cancel and don't let it fly. And then that ship that's over there already just disappeared. It was just gone immediately. There wasn't some kind of Mandela effect or like a multiple timeline broke off. There was none of that. They just, as soon as it was canceled. And they said that the residual effect was that people would dream about the mission. People would still have dreams. Some missions were very traumatic, whatever happened. And that people would have reoccurring nightmares about it. And they wanted to know.
0: So it would still live on in the consciousness of people.
1: The consciousness did experience it. That's right.
0: Wow. Okay. So matter-wise, it would disappear, but what was experienced didn't necessarily It actually disappear. did
1: happen somewhere. It actually did happen and people did experience it, but they're, you know what I'm saying? Because we basically, you know, I don't know for sure, but we probably exist outside of time-space as well. You know oh, I mean? Your, yeah. Our, yeah. Our consciousness is tethered. And when you go to sleep, you're dreaming about things that are far away and, you know, outside of time-space, so...
0: So much, so much to absorb there. I know I'm starting to
1: get. I'm starting to get like.
0: Ooh. Um. Okay. The last thing I wanted to ask you about uh, was the rat humanoid Gradial.
1: Gradial. Yeah, that's what I named him. That's, that's what, what you we named, named him. him. Yeah. Okay. So... It was something like that. To be, to be, to be truthful, it was something like that. It was close. All the names. I'm, okay. I think I'm close. Close. Okay.
0: Now. Yeah. Well, I mean.
1: He good was not good
0: enough job. He, okay. So tell me about this rat humanoid, like how tall and
1: he was short. He was 70 pounds soaking wet. He was short and skinny and he had like a rat leg. Like he had the backwards knees and a big, like his feet were exposed. They didn't wear shoes. And he had, you know, he had like tough, tougher feet, like rat looking three pronged feet. And they had, he had a, like a real, the material, like, you know, how when you think about thread count of our material, His was the opposite. Like it looked like a burlap bag. Like the threads were super huge and and rough. And that was his uniform. It was made out of like that. Like it was, and that was what's comfortable to him because he had a thin layer of fur, Uh, you know, under his skin. He actually had like a thin layer of gray fur, and he had a face of a humanoid. Small round eyes. You know what I mean? He looked. The closest, and I don't mean this like I don't mean this is some kind of like derogatory thing, right? You got to dance around it, but I'm saying the closest resemblance would be like an old, like a Chinese man. Do you get what I'm saying? Like an older Asian man. I'm not saying that is a bad thing, but no, you're saying you're
0: comparing features.
1: That's what he looked like, but smaller, Mm. smaller. But he had that kind of innocent, and he had that sign. He had humor. He had he had like a like a like a sarcastic. Okay, well, figures anyway. You know what I mean? Like he was kind of like. Yeah, it figures, and there hit the translator didn't. We had translators, we had implants in our heads that gave translation, and the translator didn't work well with his race. So it was a first contact kind of thing, like we were we were the first few ships that ever had contact with that species because they're coming into their space age, and the translator. So he sounded like he had a really thick accent, like. You know what I mean? Almost like when, have you ever heard somebody talk in Hawaiian? Like a like like a thick any thick accent? Like English people, you can't understand what they're saying, but you can. They're talking the same language, but they' it's so thick. You know what I mean? That it's I can't. I don't want to yeah, impersonate yeah. it and embarrass myself. No,
0: <laughs> but, no wait, do try, try. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but he, he was like that, so they made fun of him when he already left the room. They were like, "Yeah, I could hardly tell what he's saying." Like they would make fun of him. But, but I thought he was the neatest guy. I mean, really, I I was just. I was stoked because I wasn't allowed to really have contact with ETs at the time. You know, I was I was told to always stay away from ETs on the base if I was out and about. And I was like he was like one of my first ETs, you know what I mean? Really that I that I he was one of my first ETs that I that I spent time with in a relaxed manner, you know, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I, I, know. I thought he
1: was cool as shit. I, I really did. Well, he
0: sounded cool. Um, and I and I kind of jumped ahead into your book. So I was like, because I feel like, I was like, there's something in here I know that I'm going to want to ask. And um, I, I, I was, you know, found it really quickly. Um, so what planet was this? Did you know what planet or?
1: I don't know. I don't even, it was in our galaxy somewhere, but um, I don't know where it was. They were all just numbered. The planets were numbered. Like we never really knew where the stars that we went to, they were, they had numbers. We didn't, they didn't have names. And most most of the time, and I mean very much most of the time, like we went to we went to stars that were beyond sight, the line of sight from Earth. So right, you know, like if you looked out, we that's what we always said is we don't even bother going to stars that you can see from Earth. Like I think what is it, thirty five hundred or something, three thousand stars you can see in the night sky from Earth. You know, with the human eye, you can see that's how far we, they, they always said, we don't even go, we don't bother. We've already traded with all those. So we always go way farther than that. Any star that we go to, you can't see from earth. It's very far away. So.
0: And, and what did this planet look, so you, you, it sounded like it was similar to earth in some ways.
1: It was swampy. It was close to the same gravity. It was a little bit different. I want to say a little bit heavier, but uh, you couldn't tell. You know, they said the gravity was slightly different, but it was like a decimal point. You could really, could, it felt the same. And it was this, the they told me the water was poisonous, that if you fell in the water, you'd die. And um, it was smelly, it smelled acidic or something. You know, it, it smelled like sulfury. And, but there were trees growing out of it. It was a swampy area. And when we got, there were plants that were very thick. It was, it was very earth-like. The plants were slightly different than earth. If that makes sense. There were vine, like the, like when we landed on land, it was red dirt and very viney grass. Like it was vine, it was viney instead of grass broken up like this. It was sideways and viney and the plants were thick, you know, everywhere. And it, they had, um it looked like a military camp. You know, it had, it had metal buildings that were rounded over that were built simply. And they had vehicles that looked like an old truck. You know, like they had stuff like that there so that they were, they had their version of stuff that it looked very familiar, like a quasi weird military 1970s military uh, base, you know, and he was the only one there. It was a, it was a forward thing and he had arranged to be the only guy there. He was trying to trade. He was trying to make money on the deal. He wasn't trying to get technology. He was trying to get rich. That was how, however he contacted them, however that happened.
0: Okay, so like, what were you, what were you guys um, getting from uh, him?
1: It was like an ore. It was like a rare ore to them. Like, and he had a lot of it. He had, he had. The box was, it was in meters. Um, it was like three and a half meters by three and a half meters by two meters or something. like giant boxes, and they were full of ore, and they had like six hundred of them, or you know, a few hundred of them. If I'm saying that right. Yeah. It was like a 180 or 200 of these boxes worth of this ore that was in it. And it was a rare ore and he was wanting to trade it for some, you know, something that he could some, like a piece of technology that he could patent and get rich off of like a microwave or, you know what I mean? Like something that would advance. That's really what he was trying to do. And they shined him on because they had no intention of doing the deal there. And I, cause they gave me a special pad. That was the other thing is I had a, I had a computer. They gave me a, like an iPad thing and I, it was only did it only did the um, I put in the the measurements of the box and it would tell me how many would fit on the LCAC and how many would fit in the ship. Like I did the I did the stacking report and it told how many trips we'd have to take for how many he had because he did they didn't know until we got there how many there would be. So I did all that and when I was doing my when I was done with my report, we were on the ride back to the ship and I finished my report and they were like, Don't even bother. They were like, Don't even bother. we we're, we're not trading we're not about getting that crap like this is just a step one in a process Is kind of what they said like this is just the beginning of something that's going to happen to them like we're going to take this world over basically it's what he said you know in a roundabout way and i didn't realize it at the time and i want to say this that it wasn't until i spoke privately with jason rice about how he knew That the idar force worked with alongside with draco forces and how they had a cookbook on how they took over worlds and that was kind of the opening move and i said no that's exactly what happened you know like me and him talked on the phone for a, a long time and i said that is that's exactly what happened you know like that was what was going on so it made sense a lot of the conversation that i didn't understand at the time made sense after talking to jason
0: oh wow okay Wow, well, it's fascinating. Um, I mean, I still got about another 150 pages, I think, to go. Uh, but it's it's truly fascinating. I highly recommend you guys um, buy the book, and I think you're gonna want to actually have it in your hand because some of this stuff is so um, it's so some. Well, I mean, some of it is you know the really difficult stuff to read is at the beginning um, more so. It's you almost need to like pinch yourself like is this real <laughs> you know like am i in am i actually living in this right now so it's um i think i would highly suggest getting the book and there's details in there that you just can't ever get when you're in an interview like you just can't it's it's so well put together and i think you did a great job tony um of uh... go ahead <laughs>
1: I was going to say the thing that I said in the very beginning of the book is there's no way to dream this up. There's just too much to, you know what I'm saying? Like I've said the same thing over and over again. There's just too much of it in there for me to discount it and just go, will go quietly into my life and not yeah. say anything about it. There's just mm-hmm. too much there, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said that in the book, there's just no way to dream up 20 years of dream. And,
0: and, and just even when you, when I'm reading it, I'm like, there's just no way someone could make this up, you know, like,
1: it it, i'm definitely not that clever of a liar anybody that knows me in my real life knows that i'm i'm not a clever liar yeah
0: yeah no and it comes across very genuinely that's the whole thing like you've got you know and i've and i've said this before on the show tony but you do you have this very genuine vibe to your energy your delivery just your story in general the way you 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 deliver the message; it's very genuine, and uh, that is very noticeable in the book when you're reading it.
1: Thanks. I uh, I have no desire to read it ever again. Like I don't blame like you. ever. I will now. You know what I'm saying? Like there's. I do enjoy kind of thumbing through it and kind of saying, "Oh I, yeah, there's that page." And it got edited. Jackie Kenner went through and edited and changed, made it a little bit more readable than just my kind of ramblings at some points she said the same thing so it made it a lot more readable it's easier it's faster to read so when i go back and sometimes read how she put it i went oh that's kind of clever how she did that but you know i can see the difference at it but for the most part i really do not have a desire to read the book i will say this to anybody watching i just got it out on kindle the kindle version the other day and it's great, I mean, for Kindle, obviously, because you don't have to do the shipping and everything. But the illustrations didn't come out the same as that are that's really the only real difference is that the all the pictures that are in it in the Kindle version are way smaller. So that's the only difference in those in those
0: Okay. Well, um I've dropped the links, guys, in the video below. If you wanna take a direct link to get the book, um, or you can visit his website and get more information. Of course, if any of this is kind of You know, jiving with any of you guys in the audience, even if it's not like secret space program, maybe it's just you want to remember certain things from your past, your childhood. I know that there's so much value that comes from understanding why you are the way you are, you know, like you don't necessarily need to go into every nitty gritty detail of your trauma, but it helps, I believe, to have some kind of context that explains certain behaviors or reactions or triggers that you have and getting access to your memory so you have that memory recall course on your website as well
1: on tonyrodrigs.com and check out my patreon show on uh, patreon talks with tony um we're coming into second coming into the third year i think second or third but we're over like 70 shows on there and it's doing it's doing good so check it out Um, but the memory course is ongoing and a lot of, we get a lot of good feedback and what that is, is a pre most people, I think dive headfirst into a regression. And I think it's, I think it's overkill. I think there are things you can do. There are exercises you can do to give your brain a workout and work on memory. If you have a fragmented memory that doesn't make sense it's a way to expand on it and kind of get more memories and kind of pry get your foot in the door of that memory and expand on what happened. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be an ET abduction. Any kind of repressed hidden memory, the same exercise really helps a lot. And I think people should do that first and then consider a hypnotic regression in that order.
0: I, I agree with you. It's, um, it's better to kind of go in, in, especially because you don't know what you're getting yourself into, you know, like, so it's better to go in digestible chunks that kind of give you a little bit of foundation before you dive right in so um i thank you so much for coming back on the show tony it was great Great seeing you again with you and thank you to my audience guys i love you so much go out and grab tony's book series colony cavalier you will not be disappointed uh it's a good like looks like it's almost 500 pages um it's like 450 on like it looks like So um, go out and grab it. And guys, I love you so much. And um, I'll be back with you next week. Thanks again for joining me for another show on the Enlighten Up podcast. I love you guys so much for all of your continued support. So remember to raise your vibe, find your tribe and be open to the infinite possibilities held in the mysteries that surround us all. Thanks again for sharing the show with your family and friends. And if you're new to the show and you need to find out more information about me, please head on over to my website, NicoleFrolic.com, where you can join my newsletter. And please follow me on Instagram, Telegram, and YouTube. Keep your light bright and I'll see you next week.